0: Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. Trevor Rose Hamblin, the co-founder and head brewer of Old Irving Brewing Company in Chicago, is here to talk about barrels, food, and most importantly, the importance of mental health. And we'll get into it all in a moment. But first, please visit allaboutbeer.com for original articles, reviews, news, insights, and podcasts. You can listen to shows like Beer Travelers, Brewer to Brewer, and the All About Beer podcast simply by searching All About Beer wherever you listen to shows. This show, and all of the work we do, is supported by you. You can visit patreon.com slash allaboutbeer to help keep the content fresh. And if you'd like to learn more about advertising on this show, please email info at allaboutbeer.com. A quick word before we dive into this episode, we're going to be talking about mental health and getting into some pretty serious subjects. If you're having thoughts of self-harm or suicide, text or call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline by dialing 988 from your phone. There are also resources available at speakingofsuicide.com where you can access important resources. It's okay not to be okay. Last month in New Hampshire, Trevor Rose Hamblin, the co-founder and head brewer at Old Irving Brewing Company in Chicago, stood before a packed ballroom in Manchester, New Hampshire. He was there to deliver the keynote at the state's annual Craft Brewers Conference, and he was there to talk about his own life experiences and to urge everyone in the room to think about mental health and ways to help people from causing self-harm. It was an impactful speech and one that he references in this conversation several times as he talks about how old Irving came to be low life in kitchens and how critically important it is to be listening watching and always working to help keep people safe and working towards a better headspace this was recorded the day before his talk and we'll get into that part of the conversation after a brief warm-up but i first started off by asking him about the brewing scene in chicago here's our conversation um i'm not asking you to speak for all of chicago when I ask this question, oh my God, please don't make me <laughs> there is a seemingly uh love affair that comes with barrels and stouts yeah in your in your town in yeah. your city wow well, and and you make them I make them, yeah, and you seem to enjoy making them, and having tasted them, you excel at making them. I appreciate that. There's also no shortage of other breweries that excel at making them. Is is this just like like a goose flaps its wings and a hurricane forms over Lake Michigan? Like, had, had Yeah. Why? why? why right, yeah. sure.
1: Uh, well, it's funny you should say goose. Uh, I think that, Weird. <laughs> you know, yeah, Weird. right? Yeah, uh, well, yeah. when a goose flaps its wings, I think, you know, obviously <laughs> seeing the success of Goose Island's yeah. uh, barrel program, and I think all of us kind of being obsessed with those beers, something that leads a lot of us to that um and also you know it's it's you know it's easy to see when someone releases one of these beers and you see people lining up for it you know everyone gets you know the the little stars in their eyes and they get really excited they want to you know kind of drive drive that home for me like the thing that attracted me to beer in the first place uh was kind of the weight i really enjoyed the weight like um uh, just like baking bread or anything else like that. It's a meticulous process. You have to
0: wait for it to be done. And you kind W-A-I-T, of wait. W-A-I-T, not W-A-I-G-H-T. Exactly. Not the, weight, like, not
1: the weight of my profession okay. bearing down on my soul. Because no, I mean, like the there's weight. some of those stats <laughs> that are
0: pretty heavy. So yeah. I, that, that, I, I wasn't quite sure where sure. you were going with it. But it's, yeah. it's,
1: the, it's the waiting time uh, for these beers to come out. Weeks upon weeks with our loggers, we're talking about months. And then finally with our stouts, we're talking about a year or more, right? And I think that that kind of wait and then that anticipation and then when it does finally come out, uh, it's, it is very exciting. Uh, also, you know, we're very close to Bourbon County. I mean, we're only six-hour drive, seven-hour drive away from sure. Louisville. Um, I think there's a, there's a big love for bourbon inside of Chicago and on, on the outskirts as well. At any kind of beer share that you go to, you're going to find uh, just as many bottles of, like, you know, really hype bourbon and really great bourbon kind of floating about as well. So I think there's a a lot of reasons. But now I think we're all just kind of one-upping each other, (laughs) it feels like, a little bit. Can can
0: you talk about that, though? Because you mentioned hype bourbon, right? And I follow... Some of the blogs or some of the Instagrams, and and then certainly some of the beer places that talk about it as well, kind of thing. But you're talking about a year in barrels. You're talking about a year for your for for your stout. So like, yeah, it's for me. Yeah. Okay, but like, let's start there. Sure. Why a
1: year? So it, I think the best way I've heard it stated from someone in our industry who I'm, I'm very near and dear with is, for every Play-Doh of um, you know residual sugar or. Your in, in your final gravity for every Play-Doh that you have, that should be a month. So okay. if you've got, if you're finishing out at 15 Play-Doh, it should be 15 months Okay, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, we had to get a little creative because obviously with Krampus cookies and, and the amount of space that we have, we only have, let's say 11 months really to age that beer. So we've had to get kind of weird with it because our finishing gravity is probably right around 14, 15. Yeah. And so when we, pull that beer we've noticed that we were missing a lot of wood characteristics so we've kind of employed some newer things where we'll take a lower finishing gravity krampus agent and barrels and then blend it into the hole to get more of that wood and it's actually really helped uh, this year's you'll really be able to tell uh in the presence of of oak and in spirit um just just how big of a difference that made especially in these like really Heavy, sweet, kind of uh, what we call pastry stouts,
0: right? So, so you feel like the month per Play-Doh is actually a, a good metric? Then?
1: I think it is, yeah. And this comes from you know people okay. who have been doing this for a long time. Luckily, you know, in the you know the Chicago brewing industry is just so. Um, amazing and open and we, and we talk to each other and we share secrets. And um, so, you know, it's not, it's not like there, I mean, the people who are putting out some of the best bourbon barrel, you know, stouts, bourbon barrel aged stouts, I think on on the planet are just having beers and talking about it openly and freely. And I think that also opens the door for a lot of brewers
0: to be able to do that. Where, where does the hype fit into that though?
1: I think that people are just excited by, bourbon barrel aged beers, they're high octane. I mean, we, we really, you know, take care of those beers. I mean, from the moment it goes into the barrel, the kind of barrels that we source, are always very important to us, and then once it comes out of the barrel, if you're going to be doing any kind of adjuncting or adding any other kind of specialty ingredients, you know, I mean, that's that's my heaviest days in the brewery because I'm sitting there tasting and tasting and tasting until it's just absolutely right. And then you go through to the packaging, making sure that it's not you know too carbonated because you don't want all that carbonic acid uh, cutting through a lot of that richness and sweetness. You don't want it under carbonated because then like true beer nerds will be pissed off. And you just like really want to because if you're going to charge twenty eight dollars a two- Pack like we do. It's got a freaking sing. And by the yeah. way, we're one of the cheaper ones in Chicago at that price uh, per, ounce, <laughs> per ounce. Per ounce. Per yeah.
0: ounce. Um, but does the hype start with? I mean, obviously there there is a snake eating its tail at some point where uh, the, the the fans are going to show up online and they're going to be like, oh my god, and the secondary market is going to go nuts, kind of thing. Sure. But some of the hype starts with the breweries themselves, where course, you yeah. feel like. Okay, this is. It's probably one or uh, one of two things, and I'm not accusing you of either. But like, it's one of two things where it's it's a brewery that says like. This is damn good. And sure. like we're proud of this and yeah. we're justifying the cost per ounce and you know, you should drink this and all that. And then there's other folks who are just gonna be like, Hey, it's bourbon barrel aged and we're gonna drop a name of a of a bourbon that you've probably heard of that sure. shows up on a menu for a, a you know, an expensive amount of you know, yeah. of cash, and therefore, ergo, it must be good, kind of thing.
1: Yeah, sadly, it doesn't work that way, though. <laughs> it, does, it, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. Some,
0: somebody once—I I forget with what, what the exact phrase in this moment as we were drinking beers uh, in front of us, but like somebody once said, um, uh, you know, the name of the bourbon doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, no, that's absolutely yeah, correct. Like,
0: you know, those are, those are like nice widgets to have. Totally. And I think uh,
1: Yeah, more importantly, I think it's like pairing the bourbon for your beer. I mean, pairing the barrel for your beer. I mean, sure. gets, that's always kind of the thing, right? And so... Um, you know, at OIB, we have a full bar of people that are very passionate about spirits. And so, um, and we also have a lot of great bourbon. So when I'm sitting there and I'm, let's say I'm on Midwest Barrel Co., clicking around, seeing what they got available, I'm going to be able to order something from that distillery, at least close to what it is, you know, that we're going to be uh, putting Krampus into. We know what Krampus is, right? It's decadent, it's chocolatey. It's round, it's smooth, there's some coffee notes, but it's not bitter, um, all these things. So what do we want from that barrel? What kind of bourbon characteristics do we want from that, from that barrel? You know, um, So it is really also pairing the beer to that specific bourbon as well. Or whiskey.
0: The, the base beer has to stand on its own before you even introduce a barrel, though, right?
1: Um, it depends on what school of thought you're into on that. I've heard, uh, tell of, uh, large, very large brands of bourbon barrel aged beer that is pretty much undrinkable before it goes into barrels and the barrels do the magic. So, you know, I haven't had that experience. I think the beer that we put into barrels tastes pretty darn good. Uh, and then it comes out tasting way better. Um, but, um, yeah, it's it's one of the I, – I think yeah, a lot of people do it differently. Uh, we do ours like – Krampus was a beer that was not barrel-aged first, so it had already had kind of its, its moment, and then we just kind of evolved off of that. So we wanted to make sure it was drinkable otherwise.
0: How do you manage the hype of those beers? Because you could – I imagine it's got to be a fine line where um, – If you say like, oh, this is going to be a life-changing beer. This is going to be a beer that changes your life. Or you just kind of put it out there and people get excited because they know who Old Irving is. They know what you guys are doing kind of thing. And then the customer hype becomes, you know, the hype machine. But then, you know, if the beer itself, and again, I'm not saying this about you all, but like if the beer itself fails to deliver on the promise before anybody's cracked a can, sure, you're going to be the ones who you know get that that full experience a suck yeah. down the line kind yeah. of thing so how do you have you had those conversations of how you temper reality versus i don't know second start of the right like yeah I, yeah
1: it, 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 yeah i think uh, that's that's a darn good question um You know, for us, I think at OIB, I think we're kind of it's it's funny because people know about us. I think people respect us, but I think we still tend to fly maybe a little under the radar. So we're not the you know. I mean, Krampus sells really well when we put it out, and I would say that's our biggest. You know, we have we have our hype moment every year, and I think Krampus is sort of our hype moment. Yeah, but like. Managing hype, I, don't, I wouldn't say we really need to manage it. What we need to manage this year, and what I think a lot of brewers probably experienced this year, is that everyone put theirs out at the same time, and there's and everyone's brewing more and more every year. Yeah. So I think we saw kind of across the board, and I've talked to a lot of my friends that, you know, even the hypeiest of the hypes I think are, had kind of struggled this year because sure. we all release it right around Thanksgiving. Everyone has a finite amount of money and they're going to start picking and choosing, you know, and or they're going to buy less of each of our stuff so they can kind of spread the love a little bit, which is great. But it's less managing hype and managing uh, amount of liquid, when to release it and, and really like and, and then like how do you release it between and I've seen this happen tons uh, between your 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 um, on uh, your off prem market and from your brew pub or tap room. How do you how do you manage that balance? Yeah. And what do you give to your off your off prem accounts, your on prem accounts, and what do you keep in house? And then what is that volume of liquid in order to keep that hype going? You know, and like and to keep the excitement going for everyone and make sure your guests don't feel ripped off. I don't want you as a beer drinker to like come into my place and think that you're you're not gonna get it if you don't get it now and then see it all over every grocery store all of a sudden and then it's like cheaper than when you want to go buy it. Like, yeah. I, I, you got to balance that too. So it's a lot of balance. It,
0: the uh. whole Thanksgiving thing, right, with Black Friday and mm. Goose with their uh, uh, Bourbon County Stout, you know, like Black Friday be, became this thing and you've Big seen time. Lakefront do it and, 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 and countless other places. Could you release... I mean, Krampus is obviously going to be a little bit different given the name of it. Yeah. Uh, it tied to early December, mid-December kind of thing. Absolutely. But could you release a similar beer done in a similar way at a different time of year and get similar results, do you think?
1: Well, that's, uh, that's what kind of what we're doing this year is kind of experimenting with that. So this last year, what I did was I picked all of like my favorite Ribbon Barrel Age breweries in the city. And I brewed um, a larger batch of beer wherein I split uh, the total batch, the first portion we would release just as you know regular base. With the promises of a bourbon barrel-aged version of that later on, yeah. So I've done everything from you know sweet stouts to barley wines to all kinds of things with a bunch of different breweries, and then we're gonna release them throughout the year and see how they do in different times of year. See if we can see if we can do that because we do. I would like to do more barrel aging of some kind, especially getting out of the stout role and getting more into barley wines, rye wines, wheat wines, things like that. So we're going to, we're definitely going to experiment with that, you know, and see and see when it does, because I mean, you look at someone like Mike Palin over at microphone, that dude is releasing just bangers all the time. I mean, yeah. almost constantly he's always got some barrel age thing that's coming down the line. And that's cause during the pandemic, he filled a ton of barrels and he's just been able to like, kind of, and he's just been keeping that momentum going and they've all been fantastic from what I've had. I mean,
0: uh, no, I like his beers quite a bit. Um, where do you find inspiration in these days?
1: That's a good question. Um, you know, it comes from a lot of different places. I think a lot of times it's from my team, what's going on in the brewery. Obviously, having a restaurant attached to it, um, having a lot of new ideas. Our our cocktail team is very involved and has a lot of, like, really unique ideas that maybe I wouldn't have thought of before. My general manager, Joshua, he's this, like, crazy creative who puts together flavors I would never even imagine. And then he puts it in front of me and like that works and I don't understand why. Uh, so, but I, it just does, but yeah. it just does. Um, and then, you know, there's also, of course, all of my brewers, it's a very much, uh, democracy, you know, within our ranks, you know, we, we talk, we formulate ideas, we see what, what sticks, what doesn't, you know, and, and, and we move forward. But, uh, usually, classically because of my history with uh culinary arts and w- in restaurants a lot of my stuff comes from food Krampus cookies it's milking cookies in a can i mean they're, yeah. they're, and then we did you know offshoots of that i've worked in restaurants my whole life i've had champarado you know because i I've been humping lines since I was a kid. I worked with a lot of Mexican people, dude. And so I I know what Champarado tastes like. Uh, I used to make an eight hour mole at Moto restaurant back in the day. You know, that was inspired by that and the Mexican hot chocolate. And then I've got friends in the city who own coffee shops, who are roasting their own beans, who are doing really amazing things and come over and do cuppings with me. So then I can include their coffee. And so it comes from, it kind of comes from the beating heart of what Chicago is. It's, a, it's, a, it's an area of creators, you know, and, and I just get to like riff off of a lot of people.
0: The last time that I was in Chicago, I think, I did visit uh, uh, the brewery. And I was blown away by the food, like the beer, the beer was really good. Like, and I, I enjoyed it, that. but like, but I go to a lot of brew pubs or sure. a lot of places that also have a, a food component. And it's like, okay, yeah, this is their, this is their chicken sandwich and like their yep. fries are okay. Like that kind of thing. But I walked away, I was with my cousins and I walked away being like, Holy shit. Like, you know, and I didn't like say hi to anybody when I was there that night or anything. like, sure. Uh, you know, like that, but, I I feel like we're about to get to another point in the beer experience where food enters the conversation again for, for, for maybe the last five, six, seven years. Like it hasn't been part of it because it's like, oh, we've made our beer taste like food kind of thing. Um, but now what's on the plate? And what's in the glass like can go well together, and you're you're sort of nodding along that you you, you <laughs> might maybe
1: feel the same way. Oh, uh, big time! I mean, I think about you know when I was at Moto Restaurant, and for any of your listeners who don't know what that is, just to give a little background, it's
0: I don't know if I know what that okay, is, but yeah, that's fine.
1: Um, you're going to learn a lot about it tomorrow. in My speech, yeah. Uh, so, um, and we'll Mo- talk
0: about that in a minute, but of course, yeah,
1: yeah, it's um, a one-star Michelin restaurant that I worked for uh, while I was still in culinary school. I did my apprenticeship there. And the whole idea was it was a tasting menu. So uh, you can imagine expensive as hell. Uh, servers wore suits. They had earpieces. Uh, the kitchen was silent. Uh, it was, you know, um, intense. Uh, but we made beautiful plates. We were kind of like the the bad boys of fine dining a little bit. We were a little bit goofy. Uh, we had fun. You know, you, can, you can go down in that basement, you might hear like techno like bumping but while we're prepping. And, you know, like silly videos because we... We're kind of science meets food, but like real mad scientists like who spend too much time in the basement, have a pale complexion and are becoming part lizard. We were just real weird guys. And back then there was no like you could there was no no in that kitchen. And that was a big part of the creative process. And, that, and everyone had to participate. It, it was an obligation. If you you didn't bring an idea to the table, it wasn't a good day for you. Okay. So you you had to have new ideas, even if it sucked. Bring something to the table, you know, and let's try and make that a reality. And eventually, I got to work up to the point where I was able to, because of the sommelier there, he said, why don't you do, I know you love beer, why don't you do a beer pairing menu? Why don't you throw together a beer option for folks? And I was like, "Uh, really? So I got to go through this whole portfolio. I mean, you can imagine what we would charge for a beer tasting. Sure. I mean, the world was my oyster. I could pick anything I wanted. I was pairing uh, sours, beautiful, beautiful, barrel-aged sours from Belgium with dessert. And people were like, what the fuck are you doing? You know, how the hell are you going to pair us out?" I'm like, it's a, you know, it's an inspiration on banana split. You have chocolate, you have cherry, you have bananas. And I'm going to, I'm going to throw you, you know, this, uh, this Creek, uh, and the malt is going to go with the, the chocolate, Yeah. the, of course the, the cherries are going to go with the cherries. The sour is going to accentuate everything. And then the fizz is going to come along and cleanse your palate and get you ready for the next bite. I would argue that. My one of my favorite things to pair in the wine world when I was there, and I I learned a ton about wine while I was there, was champagne. Champagne, Champagne—it was a joke for us. It was like we didn't know what to pair with something because we made some weird shit, man. Like I'm talking edible cigars, okay, in an ashtray with edible ash that smokes at your table. You get your menu, you would eat it. I mean, we—if you Google moto sometimes and look it up, we did weird shit. But when we didn't know. Oh, by the way, I want to go back real quick on okay, a cigar yeah, course. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, Shunkerlo Rock beer. Uh, okay.
0: <laughs> As you do. As you do. As you do. Smoke uh, with smoke. Oh, it, a- you're never going along. That's yeah. right.
1: Um, you know, and So we, we, we do champagne a lot because when you're in that moment, you need to be able to cleanse that palate, get people ready for the next sip, and champagne is dynamic enough uh, to be able to do that. And that's when I really realized the power of beer. So we opened Imagine New Gastronomy our second restaurant where I was able to pair that one was much more like a budget version of moto in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Um, so we had to like throw in some cocktails, we threw in some beers and then there was a couple of wines too. And it was all while you're flavor tripping on miracle berry. So then I had to take that into account and find beers that worked with the miracle berry and all that madness. So I've had beer and food together in my brain since day one, you know? Um, and of course I lived with my best friend who, you know, was, a kind of culinary genius in his own right, had his own website called Garrett's Table. We worked at Moto together. So when we weren't cooking, talking about cooking, uh, we were brewing beer, talking about beer. Uh, We had five or six beers in our garage at any point. We'd bring it in for the staff so they'd have something to drink at the end of the night. And that's really how the conversation started for opening up what would eventually become Old Irving Brewing. So that conversation started a long time ago for us. And then I feel like there's extremes, though. We have kind of the brew pubs that kind of phone it in and maybe don't know as much about food.
0: That's what I want, yeah. And
1: then we've got people who are getting, like, Michelin stars for their food. You think about Band of Bohemia. Sure. Moody Tongue. You know, places like that who take it to a whole new level.
0: Yeah, but those are the only two that I think that, like, we can... Sure. Yeah.
1: But then if you go into Chicago, though, and you you hang out at some of these breweries, man, I mean, you've got... um, a lot of different cats who are like making their own breads, sure. And they're they're making pizzas and they're doing all this like really cool stuff. So
0: if you're just doing it by designation of Michelin, I I, I meant. Oh but sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. By yeah, designation of Michelin. Yeah, sure. there's there's not like a ton that are out there. Um, I just feel like there's a big gap. <laughs> there's not even a, a, a full hand versus them that are out sure. there these days. But the ones who are sort of phoning it in, right and. <laughs> I reckon I try to reconcile this quite a bit. Like having written about beer and food for uh, the better part of the last, you know, decade and a half, um, there are some places that have chefs in the kitchen that are fully immersed, and they're like, "Okay, I'm tasting everything, and I want you." to drink this beer while you have this, this, this bite and it's going to hopefully do like the way that you were talking about banana splits with, you know, with, with, with Creek. Um, and then there's other places where it's like, yeah, no, our wings are really good. And they're like, and maybe they are and maybe, and maybe they're not, but there, there isn't a lot of like, full thought behind it. It's like, okay, we're a brew pub. So we have to have chicken fingers. We have to have burgers. We have to have, you know, pizzas kind of thing. And I, I, I living in the, you know, in New Jersey, I find it an affront for anybody else to make pizzas, um, <laughs> uh, including New York city. Um, but that's, uh, (laughs) gonna get me canceled yeah Uh, that's the thing that's finally gonna get me from chicago i'm not gonna comment
1: at all i'm not gonna get into that
0: chicago Chicago pizza is its own thing (laughs) Detroit pizza is its own thing like there are regional pizzas that exist out there kind of thing but like there are other places where it's like new york style pizza Mm -hmm. and it's unless you're getting the water and unless you're getting like you're just not gonna or manipulating the water like you're not going to get what we have it doesn't matter yeah yeah there's so much talk about beer and the perfect pint and the perfect representation of when you open up a can or a bottle or a pour off of a draft should there be as much of a focus for places that serve food to deliver a menu with that in mind that matches the, you know, that matches the beer. Like, you know, yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean, to go back, I mean, there's, I think we kind of, when we first opened OIB, we definitely started off with, a chef that was a little bit higher caliber and i think we were kind of going we were shooting a little bit high in terms of a dining experience and what people were willing to pay for a dining experience in a brewery we we had a lot of things like prawns and you know like whole prawns with like beautiful sauce and they're done on a wood fire grill and i mean we really went all out when we first started i mean we had the aesthetic though from when i visited
0: like didn't match what you just said.
1: Exactly. So the menu changed um, okay. because the people said, no, <laughs> they were basically like, we don't want that experience with you. And it was kind of, you know, it was one of those things where it, it took a lot of conversation. We had to be like, all right, well, it, if we're going to do wings and we're going to do burgers and we're going to do f- sandwiches, they, it's gotta be great. They can't just be, you know, we're not just going to buy some frozen frickin' patties you know, reheat them and just, you know, make passable food to sell some beer. That's not what we're doing. So each, you know, each thing had to be meticulously made to be delicious and and made by the right hands. And then it had to go through my face and my my business partner's face. And uh, when Matthias Murgis was with us uh, from Folkart, it had to go through his face before it would ever go into the hands of a guest. So while we do make all those things, our chef once in a while, he uses beer in a lot of uh, the things that he creates, but he, he, he is always trying to just make really great food. I'm always just trying to make really great beer. And we find ways for those two things to pair. But, I don't want anyone up their own ass about it. I don't want. I get it. I don't. I don't want that experience for my guests when they come in. I want them to be relaxed. I want them to chill. If they want pairing recommendations, my staff can do it. I've got all the training there for it for them. They've got. I've got a document that's called the menu matrix that goes through every single ingredient uh, in our beer, in our food, and our cocktails. Um, suggested pairings, everything. But when you sit down, I, I don't want that highfalutin's. I'm actually, I think it's almost looked down upon a lot, a lot in, um, when I, when people come into breweries, they don't want that. If they want that, there's places in Chicago to get that.
0: How much does the aesthetics of the place work into it though? Because like, I, I, I think about when I was there and yeah. I have, I'm, I'm, fuzzy at best most days. Yeah, I'm Um, but like. I'm sitting at long picnic tables at your place. I can see stainless through a garage door-ish kind yeah. of window thing over on this side. So prawns or you you serving me something, it's gonna be like I would enjoy the hell out of it. But there but there are certain aesthetic cues where it's like, okay, I'm gonna sit up a little bit more straight kind right. of thing where I sat when I had your food did not make me sit up a little bit more straight, even though I enjoyed the fuck out of it. Right. Like, so like how much does the atmosphere also play into beer and, or, food
1: I mean everything right I mean I think it when we first started doing that food it obviously didn't play with kind of what the way the place looked and the vibe that was kind of going on in general which is why we changed it mm-hmm. right and it was getting to a point where our food cost was high and it was just like this doesn't make sense on a lot of levels and people in that area they were just looking for good food there wasn't a ton of good food readily available uh in that neighborhood we got the wood fire grill we could do yeah. burgers off of that uh we were making our own buns you know uh, we work with a local baker now because we've gotten too busy to keep up with our own buns and that's nice yeah and we you know, a yeah, good it's a good problem to have. it's a good problem to have so, uh, every time everyone says it's go, yeah it's still a fucking problem uh but <laughs> <laughs> but you know we in in, in we just kind of figured it out and i think people have come to know and I and I like the vibe now. I like my team now. I like the the way the brewery feels. I want to hang out there. It's so cool to go to work and like want to be there. Even when I've worked in like really nice restaurants, I don't want to be there after I was done with my day. But I want to stay and I want to chat and I want to talk to the regulars and they're they're enjoying the burger of the week or the wing of the week or whatever the hell we're doing. But we still have touches on there to let you know we're having some old culinary fun. Octopus raised octopus that's kissed on the wood fire sure. grill you know served with the you know the poached bashed and fried potatoes things like that where we get to sh- we get to show up a little bit you know be like all right all right this is what we can do you know
0: see i i i'm the type of adventurous i hope eater and drinker where if i showed up at your brewery today and like i saw poached octopus i'd be like all right like if yeah. you guys are gonna put it on there like i hope it's not coming off of a cisco truck <laughs> no. and like i'm gonna try to i'm gonna try to figure it out yeah was there a time where you weren't enthused about showing up at work
1: um yeah yeah dude <laughs> for sure the pandemic definitely was not a time that was fun to show up at oib that was a hard time. I think that was a hard time for everyone. It was a hard time for my team. It was a hard time for me. It was uh, that time where whether you, whatever choice you made, it was never a good choice. You either had to make a bad choice or a less bad choice. And and it really sucked. And I I felt like I went from kind of being on top of the world to thinking I might lose my business. So that was scary. Uh, My wife was pregnant at the time. Um, and I was worried about getting sick and bringing it home to her. And lo and yeah. behold, I did get sick. And I did bring it home to a pregnant wife who did not ever get it because I had both windows open in the middle of April. all the April right things. And did all the right things to make sure she didn't get sick. But, like, it was, yeah, it was, not a, it was not a very cool time to be at OIB. However, I will say that the addition of a bar during a pandemic is really nice thing to have when you have a bunch of full tanks of beer and you know, a few people to talk to and, you know, uh, a bunch of uh, bottles getting dusty on the back bar. It, it makes it a little bit more manageable, but it, yeah, that was a time when I really didn't want to. And, um, I would say in fine dining a lot, I mean, it was, fine dining was, was a tough, was a tough gig as well.
0: We're sitting right now in the lobby of a best Western. It's the best. It's, uh, <laughs> uh it, it, I, this is a new experience for me. Um, (laughs) We're here uh, Stone's throw from the Manchester, New Hampshire airport And in the morning, as you mentioned, you're going to give us A a, a talk And focusing on mental health Yeah You're a Chicago brewer An Illinois brewer Uh, You're here in New Hampshire talking about mental health This is obviously something That you've given enough Thought behind and talked about Enough that you got on two planes to come here (laughs) to 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 share with with, with other folks in the industry um when i hear you talk about covid when i hear you talk about you know the worry of running a brewery and a restaurant and everything else like that um we haven't shied away from talking about this on the show but there's a lot of worry out there and there are a lot of things that People are maybe aware of but aren't paying full attention to or not willing to pay full attention to. Why are you here?
1: Um, well, the biggest reason I'm here is because I wanted to make sure that anytime I get the chance to destigmatize a conversation around mental health, especially in our beloved industry, that I take it. Uh, it's been near and dear to my heart. The uh, same gent I worked for at uh, at Moto, uh, Mr. Homaro Cantu opened Moto Ing. Um, eventually, barista with him, and eventually, what was supposed to be Old Irving Brewing died by suicide. And that was yeah. that was a that was a that was a big hit to our community. A big hit to me personally. He was a really dear friend and uh, also mentor. And you, we can go through the whole list. Uh, personally, I've struggled with mental health issues my whole life. I've been in and out of mental hospitals in my in my youth and my teens. I've uh, been suicidal. Uh, I was that's the reason I was in these uh, the, the mental hospitals when I was uh, younger and they you know put me on all kinds of medication and people didn't know what the hell they were doing back then. God <laughs> kind of everyone was just kind of I, I felt like uh, I was being poked and prodded by uh, interested parties as a very young man. And then uh, coming to chicago i found a perfect group of people who were just like me uh island of misfit toys in in this restaurant industry and uh, that was moto for me and that was um the beer industry for me it was a lot of people who were very creative very friendly very dedicated but also maybe had been struggling at some point in their lives maybe more than most with uh their mental health and so after Omar died, I kind of, you know, I, the work is never really done for me and right. kind of uh, paying him back for really opening this door. Um, right now I'm, I'm married. I got an awesome kid. I have this awesome business, awesome business partner. None of these things would exist without that man who's no longer here. So a big part of what I do is, is always with him in mind and making sure that if I can if I can say one thing or just – destigmatize a conversation or give one person a resource and it saves one life or it makes someone in a room where they've maybe never been seen before feel seen and feel heard, then I will do that until I die. And so that's why I'm here. And that's what we're going to be talking about tomorrow is the conversation around how do we, how do we talk about our mental health and make it as common as talking about our physical health.
0: Do breweries do this enough?
1: I think it's getting better every day. And I think breweries are the perfect area or the perfect or the perfect business to be able to do that. However, I will say that breweries are also a perfect breeding ground for yeah. flight. Uh, when I say flight, I mean drinking too much. We have, every, we have every chemical available to us any day of the week. We're, you know Not many breweries are drug testing or anything like that. So you want to get high? Get high. Show up for work. You want to uh, trip on mushrooms and stay up all night and do cocaine? Uh, we're not testing you the next day as long as you can show up for work. You can do all those things, but how do you maintain your balance and longevity in this industry and be able to perform? And when, when does your fun night out, become your fortnight out or your month out or your year out and when, and how do we find that balance in an industry that's surrounded by it and just absolutely engulfed in it. It almost seems like an impossible task a lot of times. <clears throat> and so tomorrow we're gonna to be talking a lot about resources, um, kind of putting into context uh, visually how we use our valves in a healthy way Uh, When we, when we know it's time to seek help, how to seek that help, where to seek help, who to talk to from an owner's perspective, how do you have those conversations? How do you actively listen? Yeah. How do you, how do you listen without drumming up your own stigmas, cutting them off, making it about you? How do you, how do you make people in your sphere feel heard, but also take care of yourself? And that's a big part of it, because if you can't take care of yourself, taking care of your employees, taking care of your staff, taking care of your friends, that's going to be pretty much impossible.
0: How do you address that at OIB?
1: At OIB, yeah. uh, it's it's a you know it's one of those things too where it's not an all or nothing thing all the time. There are, but I do I will say that one we've had the hope for the day trainings. Yeah. So I've done the trainings multiple times. So can, people, can, can you talk
0: about hope for the day for yeah, folks of who don't know?
1: Yeah. So hope for the day is a 501 C three non for profit organization out of Chicago. Uh, they're saying is it's okay not to be okay. Yeah. It's a big piece of it. Uh, they do everything from collaborations, coffees, there was talk about, they were going to put uh, messages like on papers, like literally rolling papers. <laughs> <laughs> so you could call um so you could literally call uh, a helpline if you're sitting there getting high you could look at the paper and have a helpline number right on it so that way yeah, when you works. run away from your problems it's right there yeah i made the first beer that had all of the hope for day resources on the can itself um so you know they're, they're really yeah. trying to kind of go into that that gray area where you're not supposed to talk about mental health no you can talk about mental health you whenever should you yeah. can talk about it over a beer while smoking a joint. You can talk about it while you're exercising. You can talk about it at the bar. You can talk about it at home. You should. There's no bad place to talk about this stuff. And Hope for the Day was really great at making sure that it actually felt kind of like cool to talk about your mental health because you see these guys, it's all black shirts. Yeah. Hope for the Day in white. They're all a bunch of people who have like worked for bands or the band managers or they actually play in a band or they're comic book nerds. They're just like us, you know? All right. So there's a lot of musicians, a lot of musicians, a lot of people from the industries that I think I personally connect to. Yeah. And so then I became an educator with them and I would go around the city to different breweries, setting up collaborations with them, uh, setting up, uh, were those hard,
0: were those hard to do setting up the collaborations? Were those hard conversations to have with outside people?
1: You know, what's really funny is, with maybe with outside people with brewers it was not even hard it wasn't even a question it was yes when great yes when and so i mean our first we did a hope for the day um hope fest at at old irving brewing and literally every i had to tell some brewers no because i didn't have enough space so we just didn't have enough space to host all these freaking brewers that wanted to be a part of it. They wanted to be a part of the conversation. And now it's pretty cool. Like we've kind of set that base. I think over the last six years with a lot of the work that, uh, myself and my, my fellow brewers have done where we do talk openly about it. I share my resources all the time. Yeah. I, I think my therapist loves me because I think I've referred so many people to him. So when I miss a session, <laughs> uh, bless him, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't charge me the, the, <laughs> the, the, the big amount of money when I miss cause he's, I've referred a bunch of people to him. So being able to have those conversations is huge for hope for the day. I worked with them and then I independently within my business, within my sphere, make sure that people know that it's not just like, Hey, it's an open door. Like, no, that I'm an owner that's going to actively listen to you. I'm an owner that does hear you, does see you, maybe doesn't understand all the time, but I I will listen. And and then I will try to find the resources for you and put you down a path. And then I'm going to check in and make sure you're on some kind of path.
0: I want to ask you two questions. Uh Um, Related to that. So if there is a brewery owner or a brewery decision maker listening to this show right now, what is the first thing that they can do to get on a meaningful path for the people that show up at their building every day?
1: Making sure that, first of all, that message is known, that this this is a safe space. We can talk. Second would be the understanding that you're hiring a person and they have thoughts, they have feelings, they have emotions. There is no leave your emotions at the door. That's not realistic. That's not how our brains work. I know I'm an, I call, I'm an elder millennial. An elder woke, if you will. Okay. And so. Uh, what year know, were you born? Uh, 1984. Okay. So yeah, 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 I'm like I'm just, saying, just yeah. barely a millennial. Yeah. And, you know, where Child. I come from, yeah, right. <laughs> where I come from in the way I worked, it was that's what every chef has always told me, you know, leave, leave it at the door. And whatever happens to you in here, leave it in here. And I'm just like, that what? You can't carp- uh, <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. compartmentalize. compartmentalize like that. Yeah. You can't do
1: that. So it was, was just like un- yeah. Un- un- yeah. unrealistic expectation of mental health in a way, and from people who just know fuck all about it. So understanding that they don't know anything about it first, understanding that we are hiring in- individuals, and that if you have a great employee that has been there since day one, and then all of a sudden you're starting to see these signs, don't reach for the reprimand button right away. It's not necessary. It's going to it's going to cause it's going to make whatever's happening worse. But instead, you come to them with concern and care. You know how much of a difference it makes when I have a guy who's been showing up every single day on time, always kills it. All of a sudden they're showing up late. Bags under their eyes. They've been drinking too much. They've been, you know, there's all these signs. You know, they're they're just kind of dragging. They're not as focused. You can go, wow, this guy's fucking up, you know, and then all of a sudden the the rumor mill starts between all the employees. Oh, this guy's fucking up, this guy's fucking up. No, that person is struggling. Yeah. That person is clearly struggling. How do we and then start that conversation? So making sure, one, for that owner that you you let it be known that this is a place where we take mental health seriously and we are gonna take you at your word. We're gonna give you X amount of sick days and those and there's gonna be an X amount of mental health days. Yeah. And when something goes wrong, being able to have the flexibility to be able to to manage that, i have I have a lot of different people. You're not managing everyone with you know one big blanket, right As you can't. Everyone's different. I don't manage my fifty three year old brewer the same that I do my thirty three year old seller person. They're two different people, and they trust me. I have to talk to them differently. Sure. <laughs> you know and, and and it's a very different situation. You manage individuals and you have to have good management.
0: The second part of that, though, is asking you about, uh, and by all means, if, uh, if, that, oh, if that moves you, but that. yeah, um, the second part of that is I, I asked you about an ownership to begin with and, 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 and how, as an owner, you you, you you do this. There are a lot of people who are in the brewing industry who listen to this podcast who yeah. don't have ownership. Um, there's a lot of people who are outside of the brewing industry who don't have ownership in, in, in what they do. Sure. What's, what's the question? How do you, yeah. how, if, 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 I, I feel like people know on a certain level. Sure. Um, you were pretty open about where you were in your life at, at, at certain points. Yeah. What's the first question or the first action that you would encourage people to undertake if they're feeling a certain way right now?
1: The first, the first thing I would do if I were feeling a certain way right now is I would think about our baseline first. Where's our baseline? What, what is our baseline of, of some kind of joy, some kind of happiness? What was that point? So just understanding where that was and understanding where we're at right now. Once we can find it, figure that out, because it happens so quickly, right? You're doing okay, life's yeah. fine, do 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 do. All of a sudden, you know, like something happens and like you're up in your own head and then you're not able to really focus. And then now you've been drinking for five days and you're in your underwear and you're sad, you can't get out of bed, you can't make it to work on time. Yeah. Something happened along that way. So, and if you're too far along, before, let's say you get to like the critical stage, which is thoughts of suicide, sure. thoughts of self harm, things like that. But you're in this phase where you really want and need help, ask for help. Um, HFTD.org has a navigation bar. I'm going to go through how we use that tomorrow. You literally just put in a zip code. It's you go to HFTD.org, you press find help, a little bar comes up, you put in your zip code, and uh, it shows you all of the local resources that are available to you. You can use this whether you're going through something or one of your friends is going through something. Then you can actually take it from there and you can go I need free because maybe I don't have health insurance because I'm part of a small brewery. Uh I need or just anybody. Anybody. Yeah. Or you know in, in I mean it goes from everything from substance abuse to to therapists, group therapists. I mean uh, um Victims of domestic abuse, anything like that. And you can go through that and go go through it for anybody who's feeling like they're teetering or like you're, you're starting to have those thoughts, feelings, and emotions. What are you, what are we doing? And do you feel like you can do something about it? Like if you can do something about it right now, awesome. And I, I I, sounds so obvious, but it's like small things for me. It's the old military thing. When I make my bed in the morning, it's one small thing that if I can make that bed, I can get up early enough I can make that bed. It sets the day right. I know the bed's made. I got that done. At least I got that. Right. And then from there, it's like simple things like washing your ass, making sure you're clean. You know, like I I have to go to basics like that sometimes when I get too far down the rabbit hole. Making sure, even if like I I really don't want to do it, uh, trimming my beard, shaving my head, those kinds of things. Going for a quick walk. But sometimes it can be as simple as just taking a breath. Walking away, remembering what you used to love to do. We always think there's not enough time. Take the time, go do it. What do you like? like I, for me, it's like I love to go see movies. I'll go see a movie by myself. That's a huge one. I'll come out feeling so much better. But when you get to that critical phase where you feel like uh, the, the stigma around what we're allowed to talk about, not talk about, is gagging you and you've got the tape over your mouth. That's when it's time to ask for help. Yeah. And you got to know who to ask for help. And some people don't have anybody, and that's scary as shit. So obviously, and that's where the website comes in. That's where the that's website where comes in. The national suicide hotline, things like that, where you can reach out to them, or just tell one of your friends.
0: There's always going to be somebody available,
1: <laughs> always. And you know, as as a as a as a you know, someone from the community to support these people. How best do we support when someone does come forward? Even now, I get flustered when someone. <laughs> someone reaches out because I get reached out to pretty often, obviously. And you're knowing. putting
0: yourself out there. These exactly.
1: Days. And they, and they know they can reach out to me and people have reached out to me with heavy stuff. It's great. But the first thing that, you know, we always do is we always want to make sure one, that their body is safe. Are they threatening self-harm? Are they saying they're going to hurt themselves? Yeah. And if they repeat it back to me, then, then it's time to make sure their body is safe. Make sure they are safe. So I find out where they are. If I'm not there, I keep them on the phone. Make sure I'm talking to them. Um, meanwhile, I'll put them on speaker. I'll be calling someone else to make sure that we're doing a wellness check. Nine one one can be scary, uh, especially when you talk about people, minorities, black people. Yeah. Call police? No, thank you. Yeah. So you, there's certain ways you can say things, you know, with with these emergency services to say, hey. I need a wellness check at this person. This person is having a mental health crisis. You know, we, we don't, there's no crime being committed, but this person is sad, and, and I think they're thinking about hurting themselves, you know, and, and doing a wellness checkup. Um, so making sure that that information is getting portrayed well enough to the dispatchers to get them safe. And a lot of people go, well, what if they're not, what if it's just a call for, cry for help? <laughs> and I'm like, then uh, answer the call. Yeah, <laughs> answer the cry. Yeah. Then <laughs> take care <laughs> who of them. The fuck cares, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. because yeah. It, the worst that's ringing. gonna happen. I've, yeah. And trust me, I've had people that were pissed off at me about it now, who came and thanked me later. You know, and so you know, it's it's a, it's a, just it's a sticky situation. It's not comfortable. It's really really hard. You're fighting against a lot of stigma to be able to make those calls, but you have to. And then follow up with your friend, man. Follow up with your friend. Take care of them. Ask them how things are going. What are they doing to take care of themselves today? The simple ups things are so like that. important. That's the biggest one for me, man. It's coming back, and I ask. I ask my team. You know, someone will tell me they're tired. You know, and what 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 do we do in the brewing industry with, with a bunch of hard workers? Oh, you're tired. Yeah. Just instantly gaslight. Oh well, yeah. let me tell you about what I did. Right. Holy no, that's it feels so shitty. When people tell me they're tired, I'm like, well, what are you doing to take care of yourself to make sure that you're not tired? That's my next question. Are you getting enough sleep? Yeah. Drinking enough water? uh when's your next day off what are you doing this weekend dude like what and like and i ask my team that all the time man i'm fucking, I'm tuckered i'm like i know and i know they're drinking habits because they don't go anywhere else to drink because they drink free at the pub <laughs> so i know they're there until late night then i hey man maybe it's time to take a night off dude yeah take a night off, go home get some like well-needed rest get that like powerful post you know uh post hangover rest <sighs> and make sure you rest your body and your mind and come back i mean i've had guys who were breaking down in the front of my brewery I remember, during the pandemic specifically yeah. who just were toast and I was just like, fuck, something's gotta change. So yeah. those guys went on four on three off, 10 day, 10 hour days, 40 hours a week. And that was it. I'm like, you guys get three days off in a row every week, come hell or high water. And I yeah. do not bug them. I, I try, I, if I need to, it's an emergency. They don't, they don't hear a peep from me on those days off.
0: Which is great. Yeah. And that's, yeah. So I'm glad you're doing these conversations. I'm glad you're, you're here in New Hampshire. I'm glad you're talking about this. Um, uh, you know, it, 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 these are necessary conversations that need to happen and they are wildly uncomfortable conversations to have. Always. And, but I, I don't want to shy away from them because we need them. Yeah. So thank you. Um, yeah.
1: I hope that we get to a point where it's not uncomfortable. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not uncomfortable. You know what me. I mean? I, I,
0: I'm, 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 yeah. I'm not trying to be like, no. oh, I don't want to talk about. No, this, no, no. But, but you're absolutely right. Yeah,
1: that, that's stigma, right? And so the problem is, is that like, all right, let's say like, you know, you'll hear me say this again tomorrow, So sorry if I'm spoiling anything. But if you come in through that door and you're, limping, I love
0: that you think that I'm not going to sweep him tonight. <laughs> uh, this is pretty good. This yeah. is why we're doing this Got now, it. Okay. so
1: that I can sweep. So if you walked in tonight and I and I saw and I saw you limping through that front door, you're. you're you're messed up, but you just slipped outside because sure. there was a snowstorm or something. What's the first thing I'm going to do, right? I'm going to try, try and figure out how to yeah. help you. Man, maybe we're going to elevate your leg or put some ice on it. Hey, man, can I help you out? Maybe I'll, you can even throw your arm over me, right? Yeah. And we'll, we'll kind of hobble yeah, around we'll, and we'll get you somewhere. Or if you have a cold, I have like a ton of remedies or for, for if you have a hangover. Sure. But everyone's got a remedy. We talk about it easily. It doesn't even matter. But if I'm messed up. Yeah and I'm struggling inside, and the injuries aren't on the outside, but they're up here, that all of a sudden it becomes really hard to talk about. And that's stigma. And it's been passed down to us generation to it generation has. from our dads and from people who didn't like to talk about their problems and from grandpas who don't talk about wars and all that other stuff. We're not supposed to, especially men. You know, We're not it, supposed it, to talk about our feelings.
0: And in a male-dominated industry that beer is, I think that there is a lot of that that... That exists as well. Suck it
1: up, Buttercup. Yeah, yeah. You know, come on, man. You got, you got to get the shit done. Yeah, it's always about. It's always like that, and it's just like that's not, that's not sustainable. And if you want to keep employees for a long time, you want people who are going to work hard for you and for a long time. You don't want to retrain employees, and and take on all of all all of, all of that amount of money that it takes to retrain everything. There is a monetary value. To being a good person. And its and I'm telling you right now, we do not struggle with people. Yeah. A lot of people do. And that's in the front of the house. That's in our kitchen. We do a few things, man. We pay them. It's important. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. a big one. <laughs> we make sure we create an environment where they're busy. So they're making tips. Sure. Things like that. And then we make sure to hear them, see them, and make sure that we're fair. you know. And it's amazing that a lot of people have a really hard time with that because they didn't come from that. No. They didn't come from that world. They don't understand how it works. So hopefully tomorrow during my presentation, I can shine a little light on that. I am going to talk specifically about seeing the owners too, because this shit's hard if you don't know about it. Right. You just wanted to make some good beer, and you know have people belly up to sudden, your bar, and yeah. now all of a sudden, like yeah, when you're an owner, you've got to play therapist too. Sometimes you got you have to you have to take care of your people. You can't sit there and say, "Oh, you're my family," and then not treat them like that.
0: I want to follow up with you after you give this talk mm-hmm. um, and I hope you're able to give this talk in other places. Um, it feels a little bit weird, but I, I, I'm curious about your answer. Um, on the show, I've been asking folks the green door question, mm-hmm. uh, which is, I don't know if you know the, the show, the good place. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the final season of the good place, they introduce a concept of, gr- of, of a green door where you can walk through a green door, be any place, anytime you know, doing whatever you want kind of thing. Uh So if such a door existed on our plane of existence Uh and you could finish this conversation and walk down the the hallway here at the best Western Manchester airport uh, and walk through a green door and be at any pub or any brewery, Hmm. anywhere in the world, um, where would you want to go? Who would you want to be with? And what would you like in your glass? Wow.
1: That's a, that's a big one um, I know you ask this to other folks on your shows all the time and I don't think I I've have. put enough thought about, behind no, that's it that's I, I, my, my mind's racing I, I definitely um, you know it wouldn't I don't know if it'd be beer <laughs> if I'm walking through that green door and I could be anywhere I wanted to be yeah. I had this really lovely trip uh, to San Sebastian in Spain oh. with Chef Amaro Cantu yeah. back in the day and with my lovely friend Derek Hall who runs the Trotter Project out there and all these awesome, like, culinarians. If I could be there in San Sebastian where you want to talk about people who care about food mm-hmm. and about beverage, there's not a lot of great beer, I'll be honest with you, but there's a lot of great wine, a lot of great cider, a lot of great everything else. The culture breathes and lives cuisine. It's it's amazing. It's, it's one of the most beautiful places I've been to for so many reasons. I would be there. I would be there with... Um, I'd be there with my wife, yeah, uh, with my kiddo, uh, with a, a handful of, of my favorite uh, humans in my life. And we'd probably be drinking some kind of like really funky, um, fun, you know, uh, wildly fermented cider. Uh, and then eventually getting into some maybe like Rioja and like eating like, yeah, like pulpo some octopus, yeah. some seafood, yeah. you know, things like that. That would be, that'd be my happiest place. That's awesome. And you know, if some good beer was around, that'd be, that'd be dope. That'd be, that'd be just fine. That's just a little <laughs> bit
0: of, you know, powdered sugar. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, yeah.
1: That'd be, that'd be really lovely. But that's, that's where I'd want to be. And those are the people I'd want to be with. I think the beverage would come secondary, but yeah, that's where I'd want to be.
0: I love it. Yeah. Thanks for sitting down for the podcast. Thanks for yeah, doing Yeah, of course, this. man. My pleasure. Again, if you're having thoughts of self-harm or suicide, text or call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline by dialing 988 from your phone. There are also resources available at speakingofsuicide.com, and there you can access important resources. A quick reminder to go visit allaboutbeard.com. There you can check out the podcast page, the merch page, and read great new content as well as the archives going back to 1979. Do you have questions, comments, concerns, guest suggestions? Let me know. You can email me. It's John Hall, J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at allaboutbeard.com or tell me on Twitter at John underscore Hall follow all about beer on social media at all about beer and if you're interested in supporting journalism in the beer space you can email us at info at allaboutbeer.com where we can share our advertising information or simply go to patreon.com all about beer don't forget all about beer has a podcast channel now search and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice steal this beer has new episodes every monday the byo nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month as for this show Nate Schweber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed our logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer.